Now is not the time to be a provocateur for the sake of self-promotion. It's right that we should be people who learn to speak peaceably to all individuals. And yet, there is a message we've been entrusted with that when proclaimed will agitate the crowd and we must not avoid proclaiming it. Welcome to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, the Director of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible Teacher at the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our work to make Christ known among the nations, go to traincpe.org. And to learn more about our radio ministry and our fellowship in Boise, Idaho, go to breadoflifeboise.org. In John chapter 10, our Lord Jesus spoke a parable of the Good Shepherd to the crowds, and they loved what he said because it sounded good to them. And yet, they didn't understand what he meant. When the Lord Jesus explained the implications of his parable, suddenly what he said became inflammatory. The crowds were agitated by his controversial words. Now, Christian, there is much inspiration to be found in the life and message of Jesus Christ, but we must not conceal the flame that goes out from his mouth. We must speak his words after him, regardless of the controversy that it will stir up in the lives of others. There is a kind of instruction or teaching that you can give to individuals that does not offend them, that does not create division. It's the kind of speaking that is inspirational. People don't mind being inspired, you see. It's even applicational at times, you know, giving a person something to do, some minor adjustment they can make to improve themselves or that they think that their friend might be able to use to update their lives and make themselves better. Let your words be merely inspirational or merely application. You you know, stop and smell the roses sometimes. Uh, You need to affirm somebody today. You know, if you do something nice for a person on the streets and drive and you let them in, they might do something nice for someone else. Uh, Affirm yourself every once in a while. You need to spend a little time for yourself as well. You know, just some good application. Well, if it's merely inspirational and applicational, well, people won't even mind that. Even if they won't listen to what you're saying, even if they don't really mind what you're saying, they won't mind what you're saying. Do you get my point? Merely inspirational, merely applicational. This is all right. You can say things like, the shepherd calls his sheep by name. Oh, that's inspiring. You can say something like, don't follow the voice of strangers. Oh, that's good advice. And they won't have much trouble pleasing the crowd if you speak like that. You won't have much trouble not creating controversy as people admire the clouds as they drift by. Inspirational they like applicational they can take it or leave it but let your speech be implicational let it make a personal implication that insinuates itself into the life of a person and it will become controversial it will get under their skin I remember the very first time that I preached a sermon I was first year or second year seminary student and I attended a church in Portland, Oregon, and they decided, the pastor decided to let me have the evening service to preach. And that was in a day when a lot of the people came and attended the evening service. And so there were quite a few people there. Passage of scripture was from Revelation, the sevenfold repeating of God to the seven letters that are written in the churches. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And so I talked about the importance of listening to and reading and understanding the Word of God. And one of my points was also the importance of how you listen or understand the Word of God. That when God's Word comes to us, the caution of the Spirit of God is that we should be careful 
that we hear. There should be some care conducted in how we engage God's Word. It's not something that we're to approach casually. And in my enthusiasm for what I'm saying, I made the comment, listen, this is not to be set to background music to be played in an elevator. This is not what the Word is meant to do. You need to be careful to how you listen to it. This is not supposed to be set to music so it can be played to the tempo of music that's beating out Jane Fonda type, no pain, no gain aerobics. Remember when Jane Fonda was making her videos? That's about the time I was talking about these things. That was that day and age when everybody was dancing to let's get physical or whatever Christian music they could play to the same beat. And anyhow, after the message was over with, I was immediately surrounded by four or five women who had formed an aerobic group in the church. And they were gathering people together and they were playing Christian music as they you know, we're trying to lose weight, and they were all upset with me that I'd made that, and uh, I, I really, they gave me a strong tongue lashing, and I went home, and uh, my father called me to ask how the sermon went, and I told him, I think I did okay, but, you know, I told him what happened, and my dad said, Joel, it's the first sign of success. You never really have succeeded in preaching a good message unless you know you've got under somebody's skin. So, well, that's it. The problem was not beautiful thought of God speaking to us in some matter of application about needing to read your Bible, but it was the insinuation that uh, it was getting personal that you can approach God that's an unholy way, in a way that's dishonoring to Him and what He's done to bring it to us. I remember speaking on that day of the people who had shed their blood over their Bibles uh, during times of persecution and the martyrs' Bibles that people had that were dipped in blood to mark them because they had these Bibles in their homes and all that had been given and done to bring this word to us and how careful we ought to be in listening to it. And somewhere along the line, it ceased to be merely inspirational and applicational, but it kind of became personal and, and had an implication and an insinuation that disturbed folks. Well, let it be that way. Let's look at what Jesus said here. And we can't go into this in all its fullness and we're just going to look at this briefly, but... Let's look at what Jesus said here and what his words implied, at least some of the implications. We won't mine out all of the theology and all the truth that we have in this wonderful parable. You know, it's taken me a long time to get to the Gospel of John, and you probably don't want me to stop and do that, or else we'll be in the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John for a long time. So I'm going to miss some things here, but let me point out at least five or six things here that Christ said, and as he said, the personal implications were hitting the people that were standing around him right between the eyes. The insinuation of what he's saying was getting underneath their skin. The first thing he said was this, I am the door through which all who come into the covenant community of God must come. I am the only way in which an individual can enter into the covenant community of God. <laughs> and here are these Israelites who believe that they're in the covenant community by right of blood or by right of circumcision or by right of all, they're uh, uh, following all the rituals of the temple. They are God's special people. And Christ comes along and says, I am the door into this fold. I am greater than the nation. I am the way in which you come to be a part of the true Israel. That's what he's saying. Oh, that's mad. The next thing he says is, I am the shepherd leader that all people need. Now listen, we just had read as our scripture reading Psalm 23. You could go to Isaiah chapter 40. You could go to Ezekiel chapter 34 and you'll discover that a part of the messianic hope of the people when they looked and, and longed for the Messiah to come, the Christ to come, they saw him and they perceived him as one who would come as a shepherd like David. 
and he would be one who would shepherd the people and their conception of the Messiah would be that he would be the shepherd for the nation. And Christ comes along and says, I am the good shepherd. Not only am I good in this sense, I am good because I am the physical representation of all that the, a shepherd is to be, but I am good in the sense that I am the absolute potent expression of everything that is pure and right and morally good. I am the morally right and good shepherd that you have been waiting for and that all people need. Wow. That's kind of personal as well. If you've been looking for a shepherd, he's saying, I'm the one. I am the one you need and you've been looking for. The third thing he says is this. All others who claim authority in my place to lead men into the truth are thieves and robbers. In other words, anyone who comes along and says, I'll lead you into the truth, I'll show you the way, but he does not recognize me. He does not yield to my authority as the good shepherd if he has not been looking towards me or he doesn't receive me now, all those who come and speak truth or claim to be speaking truth, actually they are thieves and they are robbers. Now, there are a number of Pharisees that are standing around him at this time and most of them have determined that he's a madman and most of them have rejected him and they've even decided that if anyone says he is the good shepherd, we read this in John chapter 9, that they'll be thrown out. And they just threw out a blind man who had been made whole because he implied in his words that he believed Christ was indeed the one sent from God. And they didn't like the words of implication. They threw him out. And this got under their skin as well. Fourth, he says, I alone can feed people the truth they need. I'm the door that they pass through and they go in and out through me to find pasture. If you want to know what's true and right, I'm the arbiter of truth. Think of all these Pharisees standing around who think they're the ones with all the wisdom that everyone needs and everyone looks to them for instruction and he says, I'm the one. Next one is the fifth one. He says, I will give my life for God's people. In other words, my life is necessary for the security of God's people. I am the only one who can save you. G. Campbell Morgan, on talking about this point, liked to tell the story of a good close theologian friend of his who often traveled to Israel. And this friend reported to him of an experience of going in the area of Jerusalem and finding a sheepfold. And here it is, an enclosed fold built with rocks all around. And there's an opening in the fold. He asked the shepherd, where is the door for the sheepfold? And the shepherd pointed to the door where the sheepfold was, one of the shepherds that was there watching the sheep. He said, there's only one door. And the shepherd said, yes, there's only one door. And here was the entrance where the sheep were to come in and out of the sheepfold. And the theologian said, but there's... No door on the sheepfold. You know, in our mind, we have a picture of a door, a gate that closes. And the shepherd said, I am the door. I lay down right here in this opening. And no sheep leaves this fold except for over my body. And no wolf comes into this fold except through me. See? Christ is saying, I will give my life for the sheep. The enemy who will come and seek to devour and destroy the sheep must come through me. I will give my life for it. You know, there are all kinds of truths as we study the death of Jesus Christ on our behalf. There are all kinds of angles that we could look at it and truths that are revealed. And one of them was this. In his death, he was suffering the ravenous attack of the wolf seeking to destroy the sheep. And he suffered for us instead. He is the one we need for our security. And finally, the last thing I'd want to point out about this is this. He says... The true member of God's community knows that all that I am saying right now is true. They hear my voice. They recognize me. They are known of me. I know them, and they know me. 
Now, those are controversial words. Those are words that have profound implications. Let me give you some of the direct personal implications of these words. So let's go back through these six things and let's say them again. Let's look at the first one. It's this. The first implication is this. Jesus Christ is the only way to God. He is the door through which all men must go, through which all must come into fellowship with God. Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14 puts it another way. There we're told that we should strive to enter in through the straight gate or the narrow gate, and Jesus is the straight or narrow way in which all men come to the Father. In another passage in John chapter 14, verse 6, we've all quoted it before, or many of you have. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus is the only way to God. The second one is this. As the good shepherd, Jesus Christ is implying to us that he is the only Lord of life. He alone can and must lead you into life. And he alone can and must lead you through life. The other one is this, that every other philosophy that has ever come into existence, every philosophy or every religion that's risen up that does not promote and teach that Christ is the center and the all of all things and his word is what settles everything that we're to believe, every other religion is a religion composed of instructors and individuals who are religious and spiritual criminals and frauds. We'll sign off today with the same words we signed off with yesterday. The message that Jesus Christ is preeminent and central to any man's salvation is controversial. Join us again in our next broadcast. Until then, thank you for joining us at the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.